Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series is from our Hot Topics category and is targeted towards allergists, allied health members, and anyone who is considering attending the annual Quad AI meeting in March. We are pleased to welcome Dr. David Chaplin, who is the chair of the annual meeting program committee for the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Dr. Chaplin has had a long and distinguished career as a clinician and researcher. Dr. Chaplin served for 12 years as the chair of the Department of Microbiology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham School of Medicine, and recently retired as the Associate Dean for Faculty Development also at the University of Alabama at Birmingham School of Medicine. Today, we're going to discuss the upcoming annual meeting, which takes place from March 12th to 16th, 2020 in Philadelphia, and hopefully give our listeners a behind-the-scenes look at exciting aspects to mark on their program. Dr. Chaplin, we appreciate you being here. Thanks for taking the time, and welcome to the show. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, great. Well, before we begin, can you tell us how long have you served in the role as chair for the annual meeting program committee? So the um, role of chair of the meeting really starts quite a long time before one is actually appointed. Most members who become a chair have served on one of the intersection leadership committees. So I served on that for six years. And then one is appointed as vice chair for two years and serve as chairs for the two years after being vice chair. And this is my second year as chair. So I've been in a sort of 10-year track to be chair of the meeting. Wow. I I agree. I think most people probably wouldn't realize that it's such a long commitment. Uh, And along those lines, I would say that most of our listeners may not appreciate all that really goes into planning a meeting of this size. So when did the process begin for the meeting that's coming up in 2020? So the process is pretty staged. We really start with trying to plan the plenary sessions and the keynote speaker, and that happens nearly 18 months before the meeting happens. And you can imagine that that creates some challenges of being sure that we come up with topics that are going to be really timely by the time the meeting comes around. For most of the other sessions, they planning for those start around the time that the um, previous meeting is happening. So... Uh, You'll notice at the meeting uh, this March that there will be signs um, making you aware that uh, you can uh, submit a proposal for the annual, the subsequent annual meeting starting right then, that the submission site will be open uh, at some point during the actual 2020 annual meeting time. Uh, The abstract submissions, they happen later in the process and the session, the abstract submission site usually closes. Uh, I don't know the exact date, uh, but it'll be towards the end of August. Um, We offer the chance for some really high-impact late-breaking abstracts to be submitted 
um, later, probably the closing date for that will be in towards the end of October. Um, and those have a much higher bar for their um, acceptance into the meeting programming. But so it's a it's a long process. Oh, it sounds like it. So in other words, those who join us in Philadelphia in March of 2020 um, will be taking part in a meeting that essentially uh, has taken about a year and a half to plan. Does that sound about right? That's correct. Wow. Now, do you personally have anything planned to celebrate your, your decade of experience and contributions to the annual meeting uh, planning process? Uh, you know, I'll actually be sort of sad to be off the committee at that point. It's a Really, it's a great opportunity to work with an outstanding group of colleagues and to have a very, we hope, very positive impact on the field. So um, I'm sure I'll be glad to have a little bit of time back in my life, but um, I'll be uh, sorry to see it go. Oh, I'm sure. Now, you mentioned the, the committee. Can you give us a sense of you know how many people contribute to the planning committee and, and what their backgrounds come from? So how is this composed? So one of the things I'm really glad that we're having this conversation that I want to stress is that the the meeting really comes from input from anybody within the Quad AI who wants to participate. So um, one of the takeaway messages I hope we'll have from this chat is that people will realize that uh, a private practitioner and an allied health professional, a researcher in the field, uh, has opportunities to submit meeting programming or to work with a group of people to make the meeting programming uh, happen. Um, the actual planning committee um, includes the leadership of all of the intersections. And for those who haven't um, been experienced with that uh, yet, there are eight intersections which cover most aspects of the practice and research of allergy. Um, and then uh, also representatives from the allied health uh, community and the uh, chair of the Office of Medical Education sits as a, an ex officio member uh, of the committee as well. For the actual meetings, when they happen uh, face to face, we ask for two members of the leadership of each of the intersections and the allied health uh, committee to be present. Uh, and there are several members of the um, staff of the Quad AI who participate as well. So it's about somewhere between 25 and 30 people in the room for the actual meeting uh, planning sessions. Wow. And and how often do you get together all in the same room during the process for one meeting? So um, there are three face-to-face -face meetings. Uh, one in June that deals with uh, the programming of uh, the symposia, the um, workshops, pro-con debates, and the uh, seminars. And uh, then there's another meeting in um, usually in uh, October, September or October that uh, and handles the, um, sorry, it's a little later than that, in November that handles the planning of the poster sessions and the oral sessions that are derived from abstracts. And then there's a meeting on the last day of the annual meeting to handle the discussion of the plenary sessions for the following year. 
Mm, wow. And, and just so our listeners truly have an appreciation for all the time and, and effort that those members of the planning committee dedicate to this process, about how often do you have conference calls uh, and when do those take place? Well, there are a lot of different ways in which those happen. The intersections have their own conference calls to prepare materials for the face-to-face -face meeting. And most of the intersections do a lot of work on, online uh, without actually speaking voice to voice, but uh, they usually have between three and four uh, conference calls to discuss the materials that are going to be submitted by them for consideration for the annual meeting program. Um, and then the overall program committee has a couple of other meetings that it does by uh, conference call uh, spread during the year. That's a that's a big process. Um, can you give us some insight into how you know each session gets planned? So when when we're trying to decide uh, between different symposia or sessions that we're going to go to, you know, what's the process that is involved in actually getting those sessions fleshed out and planned? Uh, do you have different tracks or subcommittees? Are they are they based upon the intersections? Um, how does that work? So I suspect it's a little different for each each intersection. Um, a lot of the programming comes through the committees, which are organized under intersections. And um, in case people aren't familiar, um, there are about 25 different committees within the Quad AI um, that focus on different sub-diseases within our specialty or different um, areas of research. Um, and so groups within those committees stimulate the production of some proposals. Um, the intersection leadership takes those proposals that come to them and they're, they're direct. I, I should mention that um, the, the membership who are not involved in committees also can submit programs, uh, proposals. And every year, some of the best proposals come from the membership at large. So I really encourage people to not hesitate to submit a proposal if they know a topic that's of interest. Now, a successful proposal has to have quite a lot of information, so it's a little bit of an intimidating process for a general member to take on on their own. So I would really encourage them, if you have a, a proposal that you're interested in, to, to um, take a minute on the Quad AI website to look for an intersection that might be able to help you craft the proposal in a way that would give it the best chance to be well-reviewed. And the kind of information that's needed is um, for seminars, and, uh, sorry, for symposia and workshops, they generally require three separate speakers. Um, and uh, so the, the names of each of the speakers and the topic that they will speak on, an alternate speaker for each of the topics is required. and uh, so getting those assembled uh, with people who are likely to be high quality um, speakers is important. And um, then there has to be a little discussion of what the uh, educational goal of the, the session is. That's really just uh, three or four sentences, but learning how to write that would be, you know, the general member will be glad to have the help of someone in the intersection to help with that. And uh, that's ultimately about it. So um, the intersection leadership receives all the submitted proposals 
and they then have the chance to add in their own proposals that they think might fill some gaps that exist in what they've been uh, received from their from their committees and from the general membership. And they're actually guided in this by um, a um, analysis that's been done by the Office of Medical Education of a needs assessment that comes both from feedback that people give at the end of the prior annual meeting and uh, through um, outreach that the Office of Medical Education does to the membership. Uh, so the, the people who ultimately submit the proposals for consideration are quite aware of what the members uh, have identified as educational needs that they have uh, and hope to get help with at the, at the next coming meeting. Mm. It's a very thoughtful way of, of really putting the meeting together, and, and I can attest that every intersection meeting I've gone to, which takes place during the annual meeting, it's always brought up by the leadership in that intersection of, you know, if you need help submitting ideas, come to them. Um, they are extremely grateful for ideas and very helpful in the process if anybody's struggling through that. So that's excellent. Um, and one now, of the things that we really are very um, interested in trying to do is to bring more people into the process as speakers. Um, one of our biggest challenges is that, um, you know, we we don't, as the leadership, don't necessarily hear all of the people who give great talks out there in the community. And so um, we rely heavily on the membership to suggest individuals who would be people we'd like to really bring in as presenters at the meeting. So um, if you're considering uh, giving, uh, submitting a proposal, we hope that anybody who's doing that will not feel like they have to go back to the same list of people that they've heard at prior meetings, but that they'll uh, suggest new speakers who will bring fresh ideas and new perspectives uh, to the meetings. So uh, please be um, creative and take some risks around that possibility. Mm, that's great. That's really great to hear. Be creative and take some risks. I like that. Now, I'm sure there's fluctuation year to year based upon location and the exact dates, but can you give us a sense of, you know, on average, how many attendees generally register and attend the annual meeting each year? Well, uh, it's actually been relatively steady. So for the last uh, couple of years, um, there were between 4,600 and 4,700 healthcare professionals who attended and the total attendee list of uh, about 6,600 uh, people that include um, other uh, people who are either researchers who are not um, in the uh, health delivery part of our community or um, people from industry uh, who are interested in the process. About a third of our attendees every year are international, uh, which really adds um, vitality to the community. Wow, that's a that's a large percentage that comes internationally. Now, you mentioned that there's um, various backgrounds. Um, it sounds like it's more than just allergists that attend this meeting. Are there other types of physicians or medical professionals? Uh, can you help us better understand the types of people who come to the meeting and their backgrounds? You know, I don't I don't know the actual numbers for the different groups, but I know we have um, substantial numbers of dermatologists pulmonary physicians, uh, otolaryngologists, uh, quite a lot of pediatricians uh, join, uh, come to the meeting. Uh, there are a lot of allied health professionals and a group we really are 
uh, trying to expand is the number of basic and translational uh, investigators who may not be physicians in their backgrounds. Um, so uh, we hope that that'll stay a really vital and growing part of the population. Oh, that's great. Now, in your opinion, why should somebody take time away from their busy practice, their academic appointments, and their family, and in many cases travel to attend the annual meeting? Uh, and you know, specifically, if you could talk about any benefits that you've personally experienced in the past from attending the meeting. But you know, what's the call to arms? Why should people take the time to join us? I really, we, we hope, and my personal experience is that the, the meeting is a great efficient way to learn about a lot of things uh, that you may not have time to read about um, or have contacts to learn uh, from your peers uh, during your regular daily life. Um, so there's the, the educational part of the meeting that I think is uh, spectacular. And I always spend about uh, at least a quarter of my time trying to go to sessions that are in areas where I feel like I know nothing uh, to mm -hmm. just to um, learn a little bit about an area that I don't run across all the time. And that always spills over to be useful to me in the rest of my life um, when I've learned something new that I hadn't had a chance to experience earlier. I think the other thing that we work pretty hard to make sure that it is realized by most of our uh, attendees is to have a social experience to meet up with old friends, to um, meet new people, particularly from around the world. And so that aspect, I've definitely created new collaborations from people I've met at the meeting. I've had people that I've invited to come give talks at our institution who I met at the meeting um, and uh, just have uh, find the, the, the social interactions to be a, a major uh, part of the entire process. Mm. Now, it, and with the meeting, it can be somewhat daunting, especially for somebody who is their first time attending, uh, but there appears to be a, at least some type of um, scheduled format to each day, which does help attendees navigate the schedule. How are the days broken down and what types of sessions are offered? The um, Friday of the meeting is generally uh, in the morning is entirely broken down into courses. And these are either um, hour and a half or three hour uh, courses that um, some of them are really hands-on, some of them are mostly didactic, um, and they give you a chance to learn in depth about a, a relatively focused area. So um, there's a, a broad range going from a hands-on experience to learn how to do um, rhinoscopy with a flexible rhinoscope. Um, there are courses on things as esoteric as modern genetics and genetic diagnoses. So those um, are generally on the Thursday morning, uh, Friday morning. The rest of the days uh, have sessions that are vary a little bit in when they happen, but there are generally there are morning seminars where uh, breakfast is served and the anytime we have provide food, we have to charge to recover our costs for the food. So those are ticketed events that require a payment. Um, there are also on some of the days luncheon seminars um, and by and large the seminars are um, meant to be 
relatively small groups, quite interactive. They're led by two individuals, and we try to have a senior, very well-established member of the field and a relatively early career uh, person to provide the sort of uh, most recently educated allergist perspective. They are generally held to less than 25. I think actually for most of them, the room size will accommodate 28 people, but there, many of them are just uh, 10 to 12 people in the room with two experts to really learn about a topic. The symposia are more organized, more sort of traditional meeting format. Some of them are quite interactive, but many of them are more traditionally free lectures on a topic. Um, the workshops are um, usually smaller sized groups um, in the room and intended to be more interactive. Uh, and those are usually in the afternoon. Um, the pro-con debates are very popular and are organized around topics that are sort of hot topics and controversial ones in the field. Uh, and are often very spirited discussions between two experts, uh, one who takes the pro position and one who takes the con position. And then the, the plenary sessions and the keynotes, there's one of those, one plenary session each of the days of the meeting, and uh, the keynote uh, is um, just as one keynote address. One thing we do to try to help people to um, and navigate the program a little more easily. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that a really crucial part of the meeting is um, every day of the meeting has um, poster sessions and oral discussions of selected of the, of the abstract submissions. And those are held on most days. There's one or two poster sessions. One thing we do to try to make it easier for people to navigate is in the printed program and on the um, meaning app um, is to have tracks that are um, help people to find a more clinical track, a more translational track, and a more basic research track. The theme for this year's meeting is New Paradigms in the Management of Allergic Disease, Focus on Biologics. Why was this theme chosen and how will this impact the topics that are discussed throughout the meeting? The, there are two themes that affect the meeting. One is the presidential theme, which is selected by uh, each of the uh, quality presidents as they uh, enter their year. And then, uh, and that primarily focuses around the presidential plenary session, but uh, also drives a lot of the activities that the president does during the course of the year. Um, so it, it has some impact on the meeting. The um, meeting theme is, uh, arises out of a, a, really a dialogue between the Committee on Medical Education, uh, who gets most of its data from um, the AI self-assessments that are done at the meeting and through all of the um, press, uh, all of the programs that give CME credit that the Academy uses during the year, is an, a negotiation really based on what the membership has identified as an area that they think is important and one where the programming committee feels like there has been significant enough progress during the um, past uh, couple of years to warrant extra emphasis in the program. And now, the, the meeting theme is intended to influence about 
15 to 20 percent of the sessions at the meeting. So it's important for uh, people planning to come to the meeting to realize that this isn't meant to totally dominate the meeting at all. Um, we really intend for the meeting to cover a broad range of topics that will be valuable to attendees uh, in all aspects of their practice and clinical and educational activities. But the, the theme is something that we hope will be an area where there's been substantial new progress, where there's still some controversies, where um, most of our membership will find uh, important things to learn that will be valuable to their to their practices. Yeah, and I think, you know, with this year's theme, the focus on biologics, it, it is perfect timing with just the, the wealth of information and, and new experiences that will hopefully be shared in, in Philadelphia. That's great. And um, what about some of the other content highlights on this year's program? Can you give us a, a glimpse or a sneak peek at some of the things that you think are, are going to be exciting for attendees to listen in on? To, to me, some of the best sessions are, we hope, are the, the plenary sessions. Um, and they, um, this year, uh, there will be a session on, um, with our current president's interest in healthcare delivery and quality, um, there will be some really important information about how quality initiatives are going to drive reimbursement and uh, guidelines for practice over the coming years. Um, there will be a session on uh, advances in our understanding of severe asthma, um, which we hope will be um, really uh, helpful for some, one of our really most troubling uh, patient populations that we care for. We try to have significant components of advances in our understanding of basic mechanisms of allergy and allergic disease. Uh, so two of the plenaries will have a significant, a, a mixture of clinical information and uh, basic science material to, that informs the, the new clinical approaches. Uh, one of those will be on the airway epithelium as a uh, barrier to uh, antigens and infectious agents, but also as a regulator of immunologic phenomena at the interface between the outside world and our bodies. Um, and then there will be a, a session on the impact of viruses, especially rhinovirus, on uh, atopy and asthma. Um, and uh, we'll bring in some of the issues about how biologics may help to modulate the impact of what happens with uh, individuals who encounter an, a viral infection. Those are very interesting. Uh, I also noticed that uh, for the keynote address, we have the president and CEO of the National Quality Forum, uh, Shantanu Agarwal, uh, who will deliver that, and is titled Getting to the Results That Matter, Supporting the Transition to Value. When is he giving this talk, and what can we expect to learn? So he will uh, talk on uh, Saturday, March 14th, at 3.30 in the afternoon, and um, he, his area of greatest interest is how quality measures um, are evolving to address how we define best methods to assure delivery of quality care uh, at the bedside and uh, how to use information about outcomes to improve 
uh, the quality of the care that we give. So he's going to talk about general processes to address the shift towards value in reimbursement. He's going to talk about um, how to, what kind of data can be collected and are being collected to help assure that new guidelines yield improvements in quality of care. And particularly, he's going to talk about how to involve patients and their families more fully in the quality improvement process. Mm, well, I'm sure, you know, we'll all try to make it to his talk on Saturday afternoon. You said that was at 3.30 in the afternoon. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And previously, you mentioned um, the abstracts that are presented. Uh, in addition to the posters, uh, there are also oral abstracts, which are very exciting, and they discuss new research findings. Do you have any idea about how many abstracts will be presented at this year's meeting? So we expect between 850 and 875 abstracts to be presented, and about 15% of those will be presented in oral format, and the rest will be in the um, poster sessions uh, that will be distributed over uh, the, the three days of, of the meeting. Wow, that's very exciting. Um, you, you alluded to the social aspect of the meeting previously, uh, and in addition to it being you know, St. Patrick's Day weekend in Philadelphia, which I'm sure will be a lot of fun for everybody who's in town, uh, can you highlight some of the other planned um, events that attendees should consider attending that either are combined with or fall outside of the educational session? Uh, sure. So, um, as you've suggested, most of the social activities are embedded within um, some of the uh, 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 educational activities as well. So, for example, uh, there's a featured poster session which um, happens on Sunday late afternoon and includes really great food in addition to a selection of posters drawn from each of the intersections and uh, the Allied Health group that are the best uh, posters from their submissions, particularly around a specific theme. And uh, they, the session goes on for an hour and a half, so there's a lot of opportunity to talk with your colleagues as well as the presenters uh, at that session. There uh, are also the, the one of the really outstanding uh, social opportunities is the annual benefit dinner. It will be its time is listed in the program. Um, there is a president's reception uh, that is a great chance to mingle with your colleagues. And there are a series of pharmaceutical sponsored dinners which don't accrue any CME activity, but also are a chance to meet with people who um, have an interest in a particular topic who may be new colleagues that you can get to know at that venue, and it includes both uh, time around the meal to uh, dinner to get uh, to know a group of people at your table um, and also to have some formal um, uh, educational content. Um, there is a, a 5K race that if you're in pretty good shape, you can chat with the people you're running with as you run. Um, and that's another great, uh, that's a benefit uh, for the uh, quad and eyes uh, research support activities as well. So um, otherwise, just people take time out from the meeting uh, to go through the exhibits uh, as well as to 
um, go through the posters at times when there may not be a formal poster session, but you can uh, have time to talk with your colleagues around those kind of informal settings as well. Yeah, and I, and I know firsthand for those who aren't familiar with Philadelphia and the location of the convention center that the world-famous Terminal Market uh, is very close by uh, and has wonderful places for people to grab a bite to eat and experience some of the local food, and uh, it's just a, a great scene for, for people to walk through. Philadelphia has great public transportation, so even going a little bit away from the meeting site to uh, take advantage of some of the fantastic restaurants that are in Philadelphia uh, is pretty easy. Yeah, I have no doubt that that weekend is just going to fly by for most people who attend. That's going to be great. Now, um, switching gears a little bit, you know, Dr. Chaplin, did you know that during the last year's meeting, the 2019 annual meeting in San Francisco, that there were over 6,500 tweets sent that used the official hashtag? Were you aware of that? I actually was not aware of that. You sent me some notes about this, and I was uh, actually thrilled to see how much Twitter uh, activity was generated. Yeah, and you know, to give people some perspective, each of those tweets generated almost 16 million impressions, which equates to the number of times that each tweet was seen by other Twitter accounts. So it is a very active social networking and social media conference. Um, but I'd love to hear you know, your thoughts about all the social media activity that surrounds the annual meeting. What do you think about all that? Well, um, I think it's just a, it's a great tribute to the um, vitality of the content of the meeting. Um, I've looked at some of the tweets, and all the ones I've seen have been uh, really positive and uh, excited about what people are learning and people they're meeting and activities that they've been involved with. The Quad AI, uh, the meeting administration, puts out some previews of what are going to be seen through social media. So if you register for the Facebook page or uh, Twitter, you'll be able to receive some suggestions throughout the meeting uh, period of things you might be particularly interested in. Um, and uh, we hope that people will give us ideas. You know, a lot of us who are running the meeting, we have a, a social media committee um, who are uh, people who are really familiar with the best use of social media. A lot of us are sort of being dragged into the social media era, uh, kicking and screaming because uh, it happened after we got comfortable with uh, all of the technology that we have available. So I'm sure we have a lot to learn about how to make social media an even better um, aspect of the meeting, and we would be delighted to have feedback from uh, any of the meeting attendees on ways we could help them to use their own social media uh, favorites to uh, enhance their meeting experience. Yeah, excellent. And I encourage everybody to look at the program uh, for the official hashtag. It's hashtag the four A's, I, and then 20. Uh, and also for information surrounding the annual tweet up where people who are uh, members or, or, or guests who are attending uh, who use a lot of social media and Twitter, we all get together for an hour and get to see each other in person. You put a, um, you know, a face to the name per se. Um, you know, speaking of you know the electronic aspect of, of things, I know a lot of people really enjoy using the mobile app, which has been very easy to navigate in the past. Will attendees have access to a mobile app for their smartphones and other handheld devices this year as well? Yeah, I'm anticipating that probably by the time this podcast goes live, that it, uh, the app will be active already. Um, the app is something that we work on every year to make it more user friendly and to give more information. Um, it should work on any uh, handheld device or on your laptop or uh, uh, smart pad. 
um, and it gives you a huge amount of information. Um, you can create on your app your own personal daily uh, schedule. Uh, it allows you to scan through all of the proposed sessions. You can read the abstracts. You can um, should be able to um, use it to really navigate your way around the meeting very effectively. And for some of the sessions, the app is our way of um, receiving feedback within the session in ones that are um, involve interaction between the speaker and the uh, participants. And also, we collect um, feedback on the quality of the sessions after each session. And so I, I really encourage people to take a few minutes to get familiar with the app so that you won't be trying to learn how to, to do those things in a session, but you'll be ready and able to take advantage of all the functions that the app offers you. Yeah, excellent. Uh, you know, of course, uh, we want everybody to keep their devices on on silent or vibrate mode so we don't interrupt the the presentations. But um, by all means, don't put your devices away uh, between social media and the the wonderfully useful app. Um, keep those devices handy because they'll come in very useful. Now, uh, you know, we're recording this with about two months to go until the meeting starts in in mid March. Um, so, can people still register to attend? And if so, where's the best place for you to uh, direct them? Uh, absolutely. Um, people can register up until the day of the meeting. Mm. I encourage people to register as early as they can because the registration process includes a chance to sign up for any ticketed sessions. And I mentioned already that some sessions are ticketed because they involve um, a meal that has to be paid for. Some are ticketed without a charge, but just ticketed in order to provide control of the number of people who enter the session. Some were limited by the size of the rooms. Um, and when we overflow a room, we're often able to set up a room next door that will have um, some uh, have adequate space for people to um, sit and listen to the presentation and do the slides. But being in the, the room where it's intended to be is, is far better. Um, so those sessions are beginning to fill up. And so people should take the advantage to register as soon as they know they can and make it to the meeting. The link for the uh, sign-up, the easiest, you can get to it by just going to the Quad AI website, and there's a, a tab near the top of the page that's uh, labeled annual meeting, and that will take you to a registration page uh, quickly. But uh, the actual registration is at https colon backslash backslash com slash AAAI 2020 backslash. But I encourage you to go through the, the Quad AI main website. It'll be simpler. Okay, excellent. Well, Dr. Chaplin, I can't thank you enough for, for taking time out of your schedule to be with us and, and talk about really everything that goes into the meeting. I learned a lot about uh, the process and have a, a much deeper appreciation now for all the sessions and everything that it takes for that meeting to come together. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, uh, just again to reiterate that we really value contributions that members uh, make to the planning for the subsequent meetings. Um, my successor, Dr. Len Carrier, and I will be actually holding a session um, probably, at, it hasn't been scheduled exactly yet, but it'll probably be at uh, 12.30 to 1.30 on either Saturday or Sunday or perhaps both. 
um, in which we'll be available to help people who are interested in contributing to the meeting to learn how to create their own sessions and how to make them as effective as possible. Uh, so please um, don't hesitate to approach us if we can help you to take a better, uh, more active role yourselves in the meeting. And if you have comments of things that aren't working, uh, we have a spectacular staff who are problem solving all the time. And so if you have any trouble during the meeting, um, please feel free to uh, contact uh, any of us. Um, I can be reached at dchaplin at uab.edu. Um, and I'm happy to get messages from anybody who's uh, at the meeting who uh, wants to meet and talk about anything about how the meeting is working. Um, and so uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. Okay. Well, thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.